Thank you, Kyle. I am certainly excited for some food truck loving next week. So I'm like not going to eat all week just so I can eat from the food truck. Um, As Kyle mentioned, my name is Nick. I am the community life pastor here at Covenant, and I have the privilege and honor of getting to help uh, be one of the pastors of helping us grow and connect as a community. And we're in this community life series uh, that is kind of smattered kind of throughout the year. We're talking about like, what does it mean to be the church? Like, what is a church? And then how do we like live it out together? It's a part of the mission that God has given us, you know, to make him known to those who don't know him, but also how is it that we exist and love and care for one another? Jesus himself said, they will know you by your love for one another. And he also said, if you love me, then love one another. And so this is part of what we're called to do as a church. And so what is it, how do we do that? How do we love one another? Well, it was February 9th, 1941, when uh, Winston Churchill's voice broke out across the radios all over England, all over Britain. Uh, Britain was kind of coming off of like a season of being on the brinks of folding in World War II. They had just been decimated by bombs from the German uh, Air Force, or Air, yeah, Air Force. And uh, they had survived. Uh, and while there was glimmers of hopes, they were rather beaten down and discouraged. They're the only ones left in the war. You know, Russia was looking like they were going to fold any time. Germany had advanced all the way up to Moscow, and America had not yet. They were reluctant to join hands uh, with Britain. All of Western Europe was gone. France had folded. Belgium had folded. Germany had made its way uh, way all the way down to North Africa, and they were winning. And so Prime Minister Winston Churchill got over the airwaves in order to encourage his people to stay the course, to continue the war effort, to not give up, to not quit. And during this radio broadcast, he kind of gave this like state of the union of where they were at as a country. He just began to kind of share some of the places where they're beginning to see some hope, some little victories that were happening that that would encourage them to press on forward, that better days for them in the uh, war were ahead of them. And towards the end of like the radio broadcast, he shares about his correspondence with FDR, the president of, of America. And he had been petitioning FDR to to resource them, to not just join the war, but then to also like give resources and things like that. And for one reason or another, FDR, maybe was his hands were tied or something like that. Uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of practical helps from America to Britain. And so FDR, to his letter, he kind of penned, uh, to his friend, he penned a letter where it was much more like well wishes. You know, Britain stay the course. You guys will certainly like have the victory. But there wasn't a lot of meat to those words. And Winston Churchill sort of uh, wondered with his people rhetorically, what should I say to such a great man as this, he asked them. He said, I will say this. I'll say to FDR, give us the resources and we will win the war. You know, Winston Churchill knew that Britain couldn't do it alone, that they needed other contributions, great and small, to the war effort, to accomplish the mission. He knew that it was going to take the guerrilla warfare uh, militia down in Ethiopia as much as it would take a juggernaut like America to join the efforts. And he was not afraid or bashed to petition each and every to contribute what they had to the mission. As Kyle mentioned, our mission is to know Jesus and make him known. And while the phrasing is simple and memorable, it is rather difficult. That God commissioned the church to take the good news of Jesus Christ to every person around the globe. He has given us the mission of reproducing each and every generation after us 
to be built up and to know the teachings of Jesus and to follow them, to be the church. And he's given us this mission until he comes again and consummates his kingdom when he will rule and reign over every single one and every knee will bow. But until that time, the church is commissioned with this task of making disciples, of taking the good news to everybody. And for us here at Covenant, our responsibility is to, to this, this local area, that we would be the kingdom, that we would model the kingdom, and that we would share the kingdom with those who don't know him. And so this morning, this is kind of like the big idea that we, the church, are the body of Christ, and therefore we are called to share what we have to accomplish God's mission. And if I were to make it a little bit more personal this morning, I would say this, that you are part of the church, that you're part of the body of Christ, therefore you are called to share what you have to accomplish God's mission. And that this we isn't just some we out there, but it's each and every single one of us, every individual here this morning. And this morning, we're going to see in Scripture how God has supplied the body, his body, to share what they have. He's resourced them. That in the sharing, as we share with one another, the body is unified, that it's bonded together. And that it's through sharing that the body actually builds itself. We kind of have this like tagline here at Covenant. We're the church of the 167. That uh, there's 168 hours within a given week that we gather here on a Sunday morning for one hour, and yet the church, this isn't the whole mission. This is just one hour, that the church is every hour of every day. And that when there's people that have needs, the need of the gospel, the need of practical helps, of support, of encouragement, whatever it might be, that those needs don't pop up right here in this hour, that those needs pop up throughout the week. And it takes the whole body being engaged every hour of the week together to be the body to support and sustain and encourage and grow itself. And God does this in and through us. All right, so let me read the passage this morning from Romans. Here's what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, because of the privilege, or sorry, because of the privilege uh, and authority God has given me, I give each to you this, uh, this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. Well, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you are given the gift of showing kindness, another way of saying that is mercy to others, do it gladly. So Paul puts forward to the Romans that they have spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are, you could say, one of two ways. One, either like spiritually endowed, empowered, like something beyond a person's normal, like natural ability that God gives them, that once they come into relationship with Jesus and the Spirit fills them, that they now are endowed with a unique ability that they didn't have before. That's one way of seeing and understanding spiritual gifts. The other is that spiritual gifts are natural God-given abilities that you probably could use or exercise in any avenue or stream of life. And yet, once the Spirit fills you, God's Spirit fills you, 
people now have the ability to direct that gift and are unleashed to use that gift in order to build God's eternal kingdom. It now has eternal usefulness as opposed to just personal usefulness. So we're in chapter 12 here of Romans. That means Paul has written 11 other chapters before that. That's typically what it means when you pick up in the middle of a book, right? And so in the 11 preceding chapters, the context is important. He starts off by kind of saying to these Romans, he said, hey, every single one of you guys had a problem. In fact, not just you, but everyone in the whole world has a problem. Everyone's marred by sin. Everyone has chosen to disconnect themselves from God, to separate themselves, to, to do life on their own terms, however they want to do it. But in doing that, they've sacrificed the life of God. They're now spiritually dead. And so Paul explains to them that God gifted people Jesus. That Jesus is the gift to every person, and that people who receive this gift now have the life of God in them. They're forgiven of their sins, but then they now have a new relationship, friendship with God. And then he kind of continues to go on to say, not only do they come into this new relationship with God, but now they're endowed with God's Holy Spirit. No longer are they sort of directed by their own moral compass, but the Spirit now lives inside of them that begins to teach them uh, what God's will is. And then also the Spirit then empowers them how to live what God's will is. As we're intimately connected with God, God gives us the resources in order to live out his will and to please him. And then he also then speaks about how those who have the Spirit are now bonded together in what is the church. And we're now at the back quarter of this passage here in Romans where Paul gets super practical and he's now like, hey, how do you guys live together? And as I had mentioned at the very beginning, we're called to love each other and we do that in practical ways through this giving and receiving of each other's gifts. And it's all, it's all from those who have said yes to Jesus, come and live in my life. And then those who have received his Holy Spirit are now able to live this way towards one another. All right, so let's kind of figure this out here a little bit. What is Paul here saying? Well, first, Paul points to and says, God is a supplier to the body. God gives the resources. God has given the church what it needs. Uh, when I was in high school, when I was 17, my mom gave me a car. All right, she bought the car. I didn't deserve it or earn it. It wasn't because of my good grades or anything like that. She must have trusted me a little bit. But she gave me a car. It was a 1989 Ford Probe. Fact that, other than the fact that the car was called a Probe, which is like the worst name for like any car ever. Maybe second to like the Yaris. What is a Yaris? Um, I loved it. It was like a little sports car. And I loved driving around. I felt pretty cool in it. And I felt this new sense of freedom, right? My mom gave me wheels. And I now could like kind of self-actuate like my own social life and like go and drive and hang out with my friends on Friday and get myself to work and do whatever it is that Nick wanted to do. He was free, right? A free man. But then I became really annoyed when my mom began to expect me to do stuff for her, like pick up my sister from band practice. Like, mom, I've got places to be, people to see. I don't want to go get my sister from band practice. She began to ask me to run errands, you know, when she was tied up at work or whatever it might be. And I was annoyed because it cramped my style. But the fact is that Nick, at that point, only saw himself as an individual. Life's about me, right? But really, my mom understood that I'm a part of the family, and when you're part of a family, then you contribute to the needs of the family. And the person that's the head of the family supplies the family with the resources the family needs so that the family can accomplish its mission. And so my mom gave me the car that I could be a part of what the family is a part of. God gives that we would actually use it for the family. 
But Paul also says here that we belong to one another. That I don't just belong to myself. That I belong to every single one of the family. That I belong to them, and they belong to me. And, and this probably really grates at a very individualistic, like American sort of ethos and like value that we have. You know, for us, it's all about self-actualization. You know, become independent so that you can get happiness for yourself, so that you can live your own life and you can make your own decisions and direct your own life. And yet the Bible says that we are a part of a people, that we're not just ourselves. And this probably brings a lot of tension within ourself. I know it does for me. That in any given day, as people in the church have needs, I can't just pretend or ignore them, but God actually calls me to do something to meet those needs. I don't like sharing. Allie will tell you that sharing food with me makes her anxious. She said it a couple of days ago. <laughs> and she's smiling because she knows she said that a couple of days ago. Uh, we were at a family meal on Friday evening, and uh, I'm eating my food. Tater tots was part of it. And my niece, who's four, reached over and began to grab tater tots. The Lord was preparing me for this message. She began to grab tater tots off my plate. And she said, Uncle Nick, you're a good share, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. But internally, I was like, get your hands off my tater tots. That's what I was feeling. You know, when it comes to my food, I want my food, right? Like when I order a burger, I want the whole thing for myself. Like if you want a burger, then go get yourself a burger. I'll buy you a burger. Just don't take my burger, right? Like that's like my attitude. You know, I'm very independent. I want what's mine, right? But this isn't the way life works. My wife understands something I don't. Like when we go out to a meal, she wants to order her food. She wants me to order my food. And there is something in the sharing that unites us, that connects us, that says that we're a part of not just ourselves. We get to enjoy food together. We get to enjoy each and every. We get to share, right? And that that is significant. And I don't, I don't quite get that. I remember uh, being on a missions trip in India. I was, this was like the weirdest thing to me, but I was at a table with a bunch of college student Indians, and one guy brings out his lunch that he had packed, and everyone starts eating from this guy's lunch. And this guy is adamant that I should start eating from his lunch too. I was like, no, I'll just go buy my own food. <laughs> Everyone's putting their hands in the same dish. Ridica, right? That doesn't make any sense to me, but you know. But there was something I kind of was realizing that they understand something about people our bondedness, our need for one another, the give and the take that we all share together and that there's a joy in sharing, both giving and receiving, that we really miss out on when we don't do that. We're called to share our gifts because we're brought into this family. Sharing bonds the body. Sharing bonds the people of God together. What makes a group of individuals a cohesive unit? It's through sharing. In the previous community life uh, sermon I gave back in March, I kind of brought up like these really cool animals, the emperor penguin. And uh, the emperor penguins live down in Antarctica. If you've ever seen like March of the Penguins or Our Planet or something like that, then you know what I'm talking about. They do something quite incredible. You know, they live on the outskirts of Antarctica, but like during like the coldest seasons of the year, they actually migrate inward, inland, which is crazy, and form huddles of hundreds of thousands in order to like mate and then reproduce like the next generation of like penguins. It's, it's pretty aw- awesome is what it is. It's miraculous. And so as they get together right, to reproduce like the next generation, each and every must do their part, right? It, must, it is a communal uh, participation. Everyone belongs. Everyone's got to do their part. For the females, they're the only ones that can actually 
give birth to the egg, hatch the egg. But after they've done that, their body is so uh, nourish-deprived that all the females then at the same time have to then head out to the waters to fish. And now it's up to the men to sit on the egg until it hatches. And they will, for two months or something around, around there, band together in order to make sure that they all can hatch their eggs to bring about new life. So women must play their role. The men must play their role. The males are specifically designed with what is called a brood flap. I think this is like the dad bod. It's like this part of the dad bod that grows when you're having kids, you know. But what the brood flap does, it kind of, as the male sits on the egg, it kind of comes over in between his legs in order to kind of cover the egg to keep it safe from the elements. And the males then also begin to take turns inside, outside, those staying on the outside, taking the brunt of the frigid cold weather, those coming inside for warmth, and they must come inside and inside. Each one must share. It's what unites them. Every penguin is just an individual penguin when you leave it in of itself, and that's cute. But what makes it amazing, what makes it awesome, is when they all do something together. And we have been invited to do something awesome together. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this when it articulates what the church is united to do, or how it's united. It says this, Being united to one another in love, we have communion. That word communion means union. We have union in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to the performance of such duties, public and private, as do conduce their mutual good, both inward and outward, both to the inward and outward man. So how are we united together? We're united in love, which I think we probably all would get behind that. But what is love? It's not well wishes, it's not good vibes. It's not good warm feelings. That's not unity. Unity is giving and receiving. It's sharing each other's gifts. It's practical. It's sacrificial. And that is what binds the church together when we share our gifts with each other. A few months ago, uh, my friend uh, had cr- contracted Bell's palsy, which is like, it's like a numbing of like the side of your face. And uh, we were talking as he was walking around like the neighborhood. We just like got to talking. He went to smile. Only half his smile lit up, which it looked rather pathetic is what it did. It was like, well, that's worse than you like frowning at me. Like, uh, you know, half his face wasn't doing what it's supposed to do when he went to smile, right? And so the church looks that way. When, When we're not all participating, it doesn't look right. It's not the way God had made it. He wants all of us like working together. All right, so you have a gift to give. Do you recognize that? Do you see that? Are you willing to press in to figure out what God has endowed you with that you can contribute? Because that certainly takes some time and some effort. I think sometimes either personal insecurities or hesitancies, maybe just like selfishness, I don't want to contribute, or maybe we just feel a little daunted by the task. But we don't want to press into the ways that we're gifted. But you are gifted. You know, our, our country, you know, for good, but sometimes for bad, we celebrate special. Everyone's got to be special. Everyone has to be unique. And so what the, can be the problem within the church is, is that you can highlight guys like me who stand up front and like preach or something like that, or a guy like Greg who's got beautiful, amazing musical skills. But then a lot of people maybe sit and sort of like, I, can, I, don't, I can't do those things. What gifts do I have? What do I have to contribute? Well, you do. You have something. And the fact is that the church is, is uh, built... The church grows in the trenches. The church grows in the dirty work. And a lot of us, you know, especially as we talk about being the church of the 167, a lot of us have gifts that are so, so needed for those 167 hours. 
And we need you to press in to understand what are your gifts and how is it that you can contribute and offer those things. You know, the person that is grieving the loss of somebody on Tuesday at 10 a.m. needs the merciful person to be available to come. And the person that, you know, is trying to uh, help, you know, let's say support like the BG Pregnancy Center, you know, we need an administratively gifted person to help us connect to those resources and get people contributing in that way. Those things are not seen. Those are the things that, you know, people aren't just going to like celebrate. But we need people engaged in that way. That's what the church is to do. So you have a gift to give, and then also you're to give it in every season. That we have different seasons within our, our person. Every age, we're in a different season. And we're also in seasons where either we need to, you know, be cared for because we're hurting, or we're in seasons of strength where God is asking us to do different things. And so for some of us, maybe we're young. Maybe we're in high school or college. Like, man, there's all these old people. They've got their act together. What do I have to give to them? Well, you have a lot to give. And a lot of people like me get really super encouraged and jazzed up when younger people start contributing and showing up and, you know, helping out. It encourages us. Some people might feel like, man, I'm retired. I'm in my 60s, 70s. You know, I'm, I'm ready to pass off to the next life. And yet the church needs your gifts too. So every season we have something to give. We also have every, every season we have, uh, we have something to give even if we feel like we're in need. That's, uh, like I said, sometimes we're in seasons where, we, where we're in a place where we need healing. We need people to come alongside of us and to support us and encourage us. But that doesn't discount us from giving gifts. Because we have, even have things that we can give even in times where we're on the inside of the huddle. Uh, my wife and I, before I took this position, I worked for a crew. Uh, campus ministry, uh, BG. It's an international campus ministry, and we raise all of our own funds. So people would give to us in order to fund our ministry efforts. And I remember sitting with a man who had been probably on our support team for about five years. And during those five years, he, uh, his wife had left him, which he lived three hours away. And so we weren't like personally connected to him in the sense of like what that was actually like. It was, it was devastating, right? His wife left him. And I went to go uh, take him out to lunch to thank him for his, like, giving to our ministry. Just like a small, like, way of, like, thanking him. And uh, as we're eating lunch, he said something to me that just rocked my world. He said, Nick, I want to thank you. I was like, what do you want to thank me for? You're the one that gives me money <laughs> every month. He's like, Nick, I want to thank you because you don't know how much it's meant to me that I've been able to give to you and Allie and be a part of what God's doing on the college campus. He said, while I was in the season of such great hurt, that you guys continually were a place where I got to contribute to God's kingdom. That life wasn't just about me and my hurting. It was actually about something much bigger than myself. And he said through several years of this healing time, him giving to our ministry is what the Lord used to grow him and root him and encourage him and to show him that there was better days ahead. So no matter the season, you always have something to give. All right, so God has resourced us. Man, we're united and bonded when we give to one another. And lastly, sharing builds the church. As we share, our spiritual person is built. Inside, outside, and not just me, all of you. All right, we're all built together. The church is built. Um, this word gifts comes from the same Greek word as the word grace. And within the church, we use the word grace as unmerited favor. You know, I unmer- in unmerited favor, God saved me from my sins, right? I didn't earn it. I don't have to pay him back or anything like that. Unmerited favor. And it's interesting that Jesus is also in Romans called our gift of salvation. 
that God gives us Jesus as a gift. And then what does God do? God gives us gifts. And we then, without hurt, without favor, can lavish those on other people. And so I give my gifts to you, and you give them to me, not because I deserve it, or because I earned it, not because I'm entitled, you know, not because I've done anything for you, but just because you are mimicking, you're imitating your Heavenly Father. Right? That you, as you give your gifts, you grace people with God's grace. And so with that being said, give good gifts. Give your best. You know, give knowing that the Lord is going to use it in their life. You know, Paul emphasizes here, if you're a good teacher, teach well. You know, if you're an encourager, then do that well. If you're an administrator, administrate well. And he says this because we ought to give our best to the church. We ought to give bet our best to God's family. I mean, I know the temptation. The temptation is to give our best to our own personal careers, own personal life, and the things that we have going on in our life. But we know that that will pass away one day. And what will really be here will be God's eternal kingdom with God's eternal family. And so for that reason, let's give our best to one another. Sharing grows our spiritual person. Sharing is an exercise of your faith. Sharing grows your spiritual person. It's an exercise of your faith. That sharing gifts is a spiritual act. You know, I used to, before I had kids and got old and things like that, I used to be really into working out and building my muscles and having big muscles and things like that, you know. Um, now I just sort of, I'm on like the don't get fat workout plan. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> minimize a brood flap is what that is, you know? You know, but for muscles to build, what do you do? You're like, you got to stress and break and tear the muscle, right? Like when I want to like get big, you know, I don't think, man, I should just go lie on the couch a whole bunch, you know, and rest my body really well, right? No, you go and you tear your muscles, you stress them out, and then your body, you know, responds by sending the resources it needs to build, you know? And in the same way, us as the church, I mean, if we just come in here as consumers, we're not going to be built. If we come in as this mentality of kind of couch potatoes, your spiritual person isn't going to be built. You know, people have that temptation of hopping from church to church to church and every time looking for the church to fit just right and feel just right. And yet, I wonder, maybe they don't feel built, maybe they don't feel like they're a part of the church because they don't come in ready to give what they have, ready to be a little stressed, to be a little worked. Because it's when you're in those trenches you are formed with those people, bonded with those people, and you yourself, your own faith, is built and strengthened. So we have to be willing to give our gifts in faith. We also need to be willing to receive people's gifts in faith. I need to be able to trust that as you give me that word of encouragement, as the Lord maybe supplies you for like my need, right, that it's actually him using you in my life. That I wouldn't let my pride get in the way of receiving what you're giving me, but rather God is using you to strengthen my faith. So for us to achieve this vision of being the one church of the 167, of being this active church throughout the week, you know, our mechanism here is community groups, is that there are groups of people that meet on a regular basis, kind of week in and week out, that for us to be able to give gifts, we need to build trust with one another. For us to give gifts, we need to be able to know people's needs for us to give gifts, people need to know us probably well enough to be able to encourage and then receive what we have to give. And this spot on Sunday isn't necessarily sufficient. It creates a bottleneck in regards to our ability to give and receive gifts. 
And so we want to give and give gifts within community groups. I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a community group, sign up for one. You can do that at the Info Center after church. But then even those of us who are a part of a community group, are you showing up ready to give your gifts? Are you showing up? Or are you just expecting your leader to do that? Oh, my community group leader will take care of that. Well, no, the leader can't do everything. That the leader needs an engaged body to meet the needs and to build and to give gifts. So within community group, I think first I would encourage you, really press in to discover what your gifts are. You know, this week in uh, Veronica's weekly email that she'll send out, we'll have a link to like a spiritual gifts test. This is me letting you know, Veronica, to put the spiritual gifts thing in there. <laughs> um, take the test, you know, uh, and then begin a, a, a conversation with the community group. You know, this test says I have these kind of gifts. What do you think? You know, or I don't know how I'd use that. How do you think I would use that gift for our community group in the church? You know, but begin to discover your gifts and have fun with it. Right. I mean, that's kind of part of the fun is, man, if this is true that God's given me something, there's like a certain excitement to figure out maybe how God has wired me and built me and how I might be able to be a contributing, vital contributing member to his family. So discover and use your gifts. Secondly, converse your, with your community group, your community group leader. Don't be afraid to go to your community. This will be such a blessing to them, your community group leaders. Go to them. What are the needs of the community group and what can I do? I'd love to help. What, what are the needs? I'll do it. And so begin to ask your community group leader or your community group, what are the needs that we have? How can I contribute? And I think as leaders, I'm speaking myself here, sometimes as leaders, we sort of take on the burden of everything and, and we need to let go. That as a leader, my responsibility is really to encourage and help people to contribute. And what do I want to do as a leader? Well, I'm afraid of putting a burden on you. And so I don't want to let people know what the needs are of the group. I'd rather just try to take care of those myself because I feel like that's my job as a leader is just take care of myself. No, my job as a leader is to put those needs before the community group and then sort of ask and expect that the group is going to be the body and people are going to start contributing to those needs. And so as leaders, are we willing to make those needs known within our community groups? So in closing, the church is, as I said, the body of Christ. We all belong to one another. We're a part of God's family. And therefore, because of that, you're called to share what God has given you. It's not for you. It's for the family. And there's great joy and excitement in participating in that. Because it's through the giving and receiving that we will accomplish God's mission together. Allie's grandfather, both her grandfathers, but the one I'm thinking of in particular, was a World War II vet. He didn't win any medals. He actually wasn't really even in a position to do anything, like, amazing. Like, he never shot a gun. He never was on the front lines. He rode a bike around Britain delivering mail. It was a job that had to get done. It was a necessary job, and that's what he did. As the Allied forces advanced, and they were winning and defeating the enemy, he came along them and was more of a support guy. You know, helped out. Things were pretty calm. He would probably tell you that the war was actually probably the best part of time of his life. What's really cool is that when the Germans finally surrendered and there was the parade that was going down the city, he, just like any other soldier that fought, he got to celebrate with all of them. He got to celebrate and share in the victory and the joy of that. Whatever your part is, whatever your place is where God has specifically designed and put you and portioned you within the body, play your role to your job because it's in there that we're going to celebrate all together regardless of whether or not we're a four-star general or a guy delivering the mail. Uh, let me pray for us to end. Heavenly Father, 
the body is a mystery. I mean, it's amazing that somehow, Lord, and the several hundred of us that are here this morning, that you somehow have fit us all together. We don't know how or why you've brought us together, and yet you have. So God, as you have called us to be the body and to be participating, to be contributing, to be giving and receiving, would you show us and strengthen us to that end? God, every one of us individually, would you lead us in discovering what we have to give? God, would you empower us to give that gift? And God, would you encourage us in the process, Lord, as we trust you for the final victory? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.